It's been said that the book of Revelation is the only book that has a promise of a blessing if you hear it, if you read it, if you do what is written in it, the Bible says you will be blessed. Now remember, Jesus said in Luke eleven twenty eight. more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So we have the promise for the entire word of God, but God felt strong enough about the book of Revelation that he would put that promise in that book so that we would read it and study it. A lot of people stay away from it. There are certain sections of it that are difficult. The passage we're covering today is a difficult passage to cover. But we remember that there's a blessing and there's some direction that we find in this book, in this chapter, that's going to help us in our walk with Christ. Now, this is for our encouragement that we would study the book. It's good for us to remember these promises in dark sections of the book of Revelation. In fact, this chapter may be one of the darkest chapters in all of, of the Bible. And I'm not telling you that to bum you out. I'm just kind of telling you that, hey, we're here, we're studying it, we're looking at what the truth of this is. Uh, it's God's judgment and wrath being poured out in the bold judgments. And um, this chapter is about them. Uh, they take place at the end of the tribulation period. They are final judgments of God. We're seeing the judgments of God being fulfilled. Uh, in it, the wrath of God is complete. It says, for these bold judgments. Uh, they are the worst judgments. And it seems that they happen rather rapidly, like it's near the very end of the tribulation period. We don't know exactly. We don't have a time frame. Uh, we do know it's the second half. We do know it's near the end. We know the final bowls deal with the battle of Armageddon which is the, the very end of everything before Jesus returns. Jesus returns in the middle of the battle of Armageddon. And so uh, we'll see these things. Now, so far in the book of Revelation, for, as just as examples, we've seen the false Messiah, the tri uh, tribulation period will be a time of the false Messiah, the Antichrist. We've seen war, famine, pestilence, cosmic disturbances. The wind was held back from the earth for a while. A fourth of the trees, the sea, and the rivers, and the heavens were destroyed. Creatures like locusts and scorpions tormenting men. The bottom, uh, that came out of the bottomless pit. Four angels released on mankind to make war. And other things that we've seen already happen. Now, Revelation 16, 1 through 21, give us these last final judgments. I'm going to give you a little blurb on what these judgments are. Then we're going to read them and talk about them, make our way through the chapter. So we have the first bowl that's poured out. Now these are, there's 21 judgments or events in the book of Revelation. Uh, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. The, the seals are judgments and events. The trumpets are judgments and events. The bowls are all judgments. And the bowls are the most severe. So there's been a progression, but now it's just stepped up. This is the entire wrath of God. So it's like a, a bowl that has God's wrath in it, and these bowls are being poured out, and there's events that happen when they're poured out. So the first bowl is a foul and loathsome sore that is on those that have taken the mark of the beast. This is verse 1. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on earth. This is the temple in heaven that the command is being sent out to go and pour these out on the earth. We already learned in the last chapter, the wrath of God will be complete in these bowls. So the first went out and poured its bowl upon the earth and a foul 
and loathsome, sore, came upon men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. Now, it's a foul and loathsome, sore that happens to each person. So is it connected to the mark that they have taken? Now, think about when they took the mark. They took the mark because they rejected God. They took the mark and they worshiped the Antichrist when they did it. They took the mark because they believed that was the best thing for their future. They couldn't buy and they couldn't sell without the mark. So rather than taking the tribulation that would come from not taking the mark, they decided to take the mark. And at the same time, you remember that there was a, a statement made, blessed are those that die in the Lord from here on out. They took the mark and then blessed are those who die in the Lord. It was better overall to not take the mark, but it looked in the short term like taking the mark would have been a good thing to do. This is often what sin is like. We forget to look at the long term. It may very well be what our flesh wants and it may be what we want and good for us on a carnal level at the moment, but there's always a price to pay. There's always a price to pay in sin. And I think that's important for us to understand. We might at the moment feel good about it, but eventually there's a price to pay and oftentimes it's connected to the actual sin itself. In the sin itself, there is a judgment that comes out of the sin and we've talked about it before, that sin is not sin because God decided I need to make something sin, so I'm gonna label that as sin. Sin is sin because in it is something inherent that makes it sin. In other words, thou shalt not murder. Murder is sin. Inherent within murder is taking the life of someone who's made in the image of God. And so these people on the short term took the mark of the beast, rejected God, but now in the long term, they have a foul and loathsome, so, loathsome sore. Listen to what Revelation 14, 9 through 10 said. Uh, it says, Then the third angel followed them, with, saying with a loud voice, I, I, uh, If anyone worships the, beach, uh, the beast and his image and receives the mark on his forehead or his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God. Remember, these bowls being poured out are the wrath of God which is poured out in full strength in the cup of indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and the presence of the lamb. That's talking about their eventual destruction, but now they also have these sores to deal with. The second bowl is the sea being destroyed. The entire sea is destroyed. God's in the process of destroying the earth and then reestablishing it during the millennium period, creating a new heaven and a new earth eventually, but doing a restoration work during the millennium period, but destroying the earth as it is now. And so verse three says, then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea and it became blood as a dead man and every living creature in the sea died. This isn't just, doesn't just look like something that is blood. It's something that contaminates the ocean enough where all of the creatures die within the oceans, which is going to make the earth unlivable. It means that there's a, there's the, the time clock for how long people can live on the earth has just been moved forward. Now, Isaiah 13, 12 says, I will make mortal men more rare than fine gold and more than the golden wedge of Ophir, which I imagine is very rare, all right? So this isn't the only place that God said, the time is coming when I am going to make men rare on the earth. 
men being rare on the earth will happen uh, near the time of the, the, the Battle of Armageddon and certainly after that time. So the, the sea is destroyed. So foul sores, the sea is destroyed. The third is fresh water is contaminated. The sea has now died. Everything's died in it. But the third is the same. The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water and they became blood. Now, we get our drinking water from the rivers and the springs. We have a water table in Tucson that would be a spring and it would be turned into blood. We, get, we have reservoirs like Roosevelt, Lake Mead, um, Powell, which are reservoirs that bring water down for people to live on, not only here, but in Colorado, in uh, California. And so these being turned into blood would make us have to drink it, I would think. Now, it doesn't say that all water, like water bottles turned into blood or containers of water turned into blood. Doesn't say that. So we don't know whether that happened or not. So they might have now have to ration their water. Now it gets, it gets, um, it gets compounded here with the next one. And well, let me, let me go on and read a little bit because there's a little bit of a break here. Uh, there's a proclamation of God's righteous judgments. So we've had three of the bulls poured out. All of them have been severe. And now there is a proclamation from heaven. And I heard an angel of the water saying, this is the one that poured on the waters, you are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be. So this is Jesus. All judgment has been given over to Jesus. He's the one who, uh, well, uh, God, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they are, they are the one who is, who was, and who is to, is to come. Um, Jesus is the one who is and who, who died and came back to life in the, earlier in the book of Revelation. So, uh, because you have judged these things, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. You remember that if anyone turned down the mark of the beast and didn't worship the beast, then they were killed. And so the next thing you see after that command is a group of people up in heaven that are worshiping God and they came out of the great tribulation. And so many, many people had their lives taken to them. In fact, we saw in the book of Revelation that it said it was given power to the Antichrist to overcome the saints. These would be tribulation saints, people that got saved after the tribulation began. And they were given, the, uh, the Antichrist was given power over them to take their lives. That's why Revelation 3.10 that says, uh, to those who have persevered, I will keep you from the hour of testing that will come upon the whole earth. That, and, and people say, well, it's not from it, it's through it. It can't be through it because the Antichrist is gonna be given complete power over the saints. It has to be from. The God's promise to them that they would be kept from that time has to be them kept out of it, which is one of the reasons that I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, that we're gonna be caught up to the Lord before the time comes. Now, it goes on to say, they shed the blood of saints and you gave them blood to drink for it is their just due for what they've done. When we think of what's going on in the world at this time, uh, mankind is getting worse. They're getting more evil, murdering more people. And th there's a lot of evil that goes on in our world today. And I heard another from another altar saying, even so, Lord God Almighty, 
true and righteous are your judgments. God's judgments are going to be true and righteous in the end. And this is a declaration from heaven that they are true and righteous. Now we get to the fourth bowl and this is compounded. Now they've had all the water in the ocean die. The rivers have turned to blood. So they're at the very best. They are rationing their water. And then the fourth bowl is the sun scorching men. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And so now God turns up the heat. First, he contaminates the water and then he turns up the heat on them. And now things are really bad. Isaiah 30, 26 says, moreover, the light of the moon will be as the light of the sun and the light of the sun will be sevenfold as the light of seven days in the day that the Lord binds the bruises of his people and heals the stroke of their, of their wound. And so God is restoring the nation of Israel, but at the same time he's restoring the nation of Israel, he's turning up judgment upon the world. Uh, now there's another break. We saw a break between the third and fourth bowl, and that was an angel proclaiming God's judgments were true. Now we see men respond to these judgments. This is between the fourth and fifth bowl. It says, and men were scorched with great heat and they blasphemed the name of God who has power over the plagues and they did not repent and give him glory. So at this point, they don't repent. Now there's a question as to whether or not they can repent. Everyone who takes the mark of the beast uh, is going to be destroyed. So there's a question about it. But even in the midst of all of this, there's no desire to repent, but only blasphemy. The fifth bowl, darkness. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and the kingdom became full of darkness and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. Now, before we get into the darkness, let's look at the first part. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. Now I have a question. Where is the throne of the beast? We know that he is the head of the one world government. We know that it is a revived Roman empire. We know from the next two chapters that there is mystery Babylon and there is Babylon. So there's two Babylons and we're gonna see in our study next week and maybe we're gonna take, we're gonna take a few weeks to get through this. There's three Babylons that are mentioned in the Bible. The literal Babylon, there's Babylon, the, the one world power, and there's mystery Babylon. And we'll talk about those. But there's also Jerusalem. And some believe that the Babylon that the Antichrist rules from is Jerusalem. Remember in the middle of the tribulation period, when the two witnesses are killed, you remember that it says this happened in the city that is spiritual Sodom and Egypt where our Lord was crucified. The people of Israel have been taken in by wings of an eagle and taken out into the wilderness and protected by God. And Jerusalem is now controlled by whoever is left behind to control it. Some believe that the Antichrist throne was in Jerusalem and that it is Babylon. We'll talk about those merits in the next couple of weeks as we make our way through. It's just a good question to ask. 
Is it literal Babylon? Is literal Babylon going to be rebuilt? Saddam Hussein was trying to rebuild it. Some people believe it is today. Some people believe it's, it's uh, Saudi Arabia. They're building all kinds of new, new uh, cities. They believe that Saudi Arabia is part of it. And we'll talk as we get into that. So that's in, in the future or in the next couple, three weeks. It says, and the kingdom became full of darkness. So this is God bringing them into darkness because they have rejected the light and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. I don't know if this was pain that came with the darkness. I don't know if this is pain that was still there from their sores, but there's a darkness. I don't know if there's been heat and now in the darkness, there's cold. And that's the reason that they're gnawing their tongue, but there's pain. So we get men blaspheming God a second time. Blasphemed them after the last bold judgment. Now they blaspheme again. It says in verse 11, they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains, their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. So it looks like they're in the darkness, in their sores, in their gnawing pain. Now, the sixth bowl is the Euphrates River dried up. Now, it's interesting, the Euphrates River has been drying up. And here we have, and earlier we had a statement of the Euphrates River, I'm gonna read in a moment, but the Euphrates River is drying up. And this is why some people say that we are in the tribulation period. They will say, the Euphrates River is driving up, we're in the tribulation period. We cannot be in the tribulation period because the Antichrist hasn't been revealed. It says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that in the tribulation period, the Antichrist will be revealed. There will be a great falling away. That could be the apostasy in the church that we're seeing but the Antichrist isn't revealed. And anybody that says to me, we're in the tribulation period, my next question is always, then who is the Antichrist? And sometimes you get funny answers to that question, by the way. And out of all the funny questions that we've gotten over all of the years about who the Antichrist is, they've all been wrong up to this point, okay? So when you throw out your idea of who you think the Antichrist is, there's a long record of people being wrong. You're probably wrong. Somebody will get it right someday, but you're probably wrong. Um, so verse 12, then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and its waters dried up. So the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. Now what's happening is there is a preparation for the battle of Armageddon, for the last battle that will ever take place. And the Antichrist is over the entire world, but it seems that the kings of the east are rebelling and they're gonna bring an army over the Euphrates River, come to Jerusalem, and there will be a battle in Jerusalem. We will, again, chapter 19, we're gonna talk about the battle of Armageddon, so we won't do a lot of talking about it right now, but just be aware that it takes place in Jerusalem. Most of Jerusalem is destroyed in this battle. There's a remnant that remains and Jesus returns in the middle of this battle. And this is the, the preparation for it. Now we saw earlier preparation in Revelation 9, 14 through 16, where it said, this is the, the sixth trumpet. It says, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, the year 
were released to kill a third of mankind. Now, the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. So if this is an army coming across the Euphrates River and a third of mankind is going to die by this, then that's a large army. It, it may be that, it, 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 that there's something else being referred to here, but it's a large army. And people have pointed out that someplace like China would be able to, to, to man an army that is that large. There are several other countries that may be, you know, putting their, their um, hats in the ring to be able to come and fight against the Antichrist. Now, now that the Euphrates River is dried up and the way is made for the armies of the east to make their way to the valley of Jezreel, which is where Armageddon will be, and I'll explain that in a moment, now we have the Antichrist preparing his forces. There's another force that's going to come and fight against them. So this is verse 13. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, the mouth of the beast, and the mouth of the false prophet. So this is the unholy trinity, as we call it. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them to the battle of the day of God Almighty. So, so this is demonic. So the Antichrist, through, through a demonic spirit, gathers together his forces to come and battle against the forces that are coming over the Euphrates River in the, the battle of Armageddon. Now, in the middle of all of this, as, as the stage is set now, for this worst battle that's, that's going to happen in, in all of history. And we get an encouragement. God speaks to us who are reading it. It says, behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and see his shame. So the encouragement to us is that Jesus is coming like a thief. Not that he's coming to steal something, but he's coming like a thief because you don't know when the thief's going to show up. Jesus told another parable. If you knew when the thief was going to come, you'd stay up and wait for the thief. If you knew what time he was going to come. But you don't know when he's going to come, so you have to be ready for it at all times. And so we lock our doors and we have alarms. And so you have dogs that are going to go off at anything in order to tell you. So you're ready if the thief comes all of the time. Jesus is coming like a thief but there's going to be a lot of people who aren't ready. What aren't they doing? They're not watching. Blessed is he who watches. The Bible tells us what the last days are going to be like. And I'm not going to go over all of the passages that talk about what the last days will be like, but I want to tell you they look a lot like our days. The Bible says the love of many will grow cold. We live in a time when there's more hatred than ever before when men are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That's, that's our day. There are so many other things. The Bible talks about the last days being like, and we are supposed to watch. We are we're to discern the times that we're living in. We are to look around and be waiting for him. And we're to watch for him too, by the way. And I want to show you that in a moment. And keeps his garments. This means you keep your garments white. You keep them unstained by the world. That you aren't doing something that when Jesus returns, that would cause you perhaps to be left behind. 
perhaps to, to be embarrassed greatly when you, when you see him. Because out of all the people that call themselves Christians, there are people doing things they should not be doing. They are hiding things. They're not who they say they are. They're not keeping their garments white. Now, maybe the person's dealing with a stronghold and they're repenting. And maybe they're crying out to God. And maybe they're looking for help. So we can't judge, but God can. God knows the heart of men and women. And he knows what's going on. And there will be professed Christians when Jesus returns that were having an affair the night before. And maybe, maybe genuine Christians that had an affair the night before Jesus returns. Your garment is stained. And so you make things right and get serious about walking right with him lest you walk naked. It's going to be exposed. Maybe you can hide it now and no one is going to know. I think of Ravi Zachariah when I think of this. As far as apologist goes, he was one of the most respected and came up with great arguments and was incredibly intelligent. But he was involved in sinful behavior. Not just taking advantage of sinful things, but planning for sinful behavior. And now we know his nakedness. We respected him before. I remember trying to get him to come and speak probably 20 years ago at the church. We wanted him to be able to come because his stuff was blessed to be able to read his stuff. But he didn't take care of his garments. And now we see his nakedness. And all your nakedness will be seen. Everything will be seen. Lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And so the Lord says, keep your garments. Stop that stuff. Turn away from it. Really, truly repent from it and live as you're supposed to live as a Christian. Now, when he says, behold, I'm coming as a thief, he's telling us that he's coming at any moment. 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 and 3 says, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Now, the day of the Lord is a reference talking about the tribulation period. And when you read the context of the day of the Lord throughout the Bible, sometimes it's talking about the whole thing. Sometimes it's talking about the last three and a half years, the great and awesome day of the Lord. Sometimes it's talking about the actual day, the day of the Lord, that he will come back and, and destroy uh, man, the, the, uh, the, the armies at the Battle of Armageddon. Now, people fight against the concept of the any moment return of Christ. The, the um, imminent, imminent <laughs> the any moment return of Jesus. <laughs> the reason is, is because there's some who believe that Jesus is coming back in the middle of the tribulation or in the two thirds of the way through or at the end of the tribulation. But we're told clearly to watch for him. We're told clearly that he could come back at any moment. We're not told to look for the Antichrist. And if you believe that it's going to happen in the, the rapture is going to happen in the tribulation, then you believe you're going to see the Antichrist and you're going to be persecuted by him. And so you're looking not to the skies, you're not looking for Jesus. And so he goes on to say, for when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains come upon a woman and they shall not escape. So when you say peace and safety, it comes upon you. That can't be said any time during the tribulation period. There's never peace and safety in the tribulation period. 
1 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10 says, For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had with you, how, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven. The Thessalonians turned from the way they were living to God to wait for the Son from heaven. Now, if you're going into the tribulation period, why are you waiting for the Son to come from heaven? You're not. You're waiting for the Antichrist to come. You're trying to knuckle down. You're trying to figure out, all right, I'm going to have to be a martyr. I'm going to have to get it right. I'm going to have to get this stuff together. You're not waiting for the Son to come from heaven. And then it says, who he raised from the dead and Jesus who delivers us from the wrath that is to come. We're promised we're not going to experience the wrath of God from Jesus. Now, let me read you just a couple more here. Luke 21, 35 through 40. Let your waist be girded and, and to gird your waist. They wore robes, right? And so if you had to go out in a field and work, you grabbed the robe down between your legs, you brought it up and you tucked it into your belt or to the, your waist. Now you had effectively shorts on so you could go out and you could work in a field. So he says, let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. In other words, be ready. And you yourselves be like a men who wait for their master when he will return from a wedding. And when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find him watching. Jesus said, I come as a thief. Watch. Blessed are the servants who are watching for him when he returns. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself, Jesus will, and have them sit down and eat and will come and serve them. Imagine that being served by the Lord. And, it shall, and, it, uh, and, and if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find so, blessed are those servants. Find them waiting no matter what watch it is. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed the house to be broken into. Now, this is Jesus telling this parable or telling us to be ready. So he says this, therefore, you also be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. If Jesus was going to return in the middle of the tribulation period, can you honestly tell me you wouldn't be expecting him? If you knew the book of Revelation and he was going to come three quarters of the way through, can you honestly say you wouldn't be expecting him? He's going to come in an hour you don't expect. At a time when people say peace and safety. If it's at the end of the tribulation period, you're going to tell me you're not expecting him? After you've watched all the bowls being poured out, you would be expecting him. The only one that stands with Christ returning for us at a time that we don't expect it is that he's going to come for us before the tribulation period starts. Now, let me read you another one. Um, Matthew, Matthew 24, 44 says that he's coming at a time that you don't expect him as well. And let me see if I've got this um, Luke 17 one in here. I don't. Let me just tell you what Luke 17 says. <laughs> Um, Luke, 17, Luke 17 says that as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be when the Son of Man comes. That they're going to be marrying and giving in, they were get marrying and giving in marriage until the day they went into the ark and then destruction came. So when Jesus returns, his true followers will go into the ark and destruction will come. 
it goes on to say then, and also it will be as in the days of a lot. Men were plowing and working and marrying. See, they're not doing all of that in the middle of the tribulation period or two thirds of the way through it or at the end of the tribulation period. Life isn't going on as normal. That's the idea of these two things. They were marrying, they were giving in marriage, they were working, they were plowing, they were doing their work. Life is just going on like normal until the day that Lot left Sodom and then fire and brimstone rained down and destroyed them. So the, the return of Christ will be like that. We will be taken out. And then Jesus goes on in um, Luke 17 and says, two, people, two men will be in a field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be in bed, one will be taken and another one left. And so it gives us this taking of one. Now today it's popular to say that the evil people are taken and that the righteous people are left behind, but that just doesn't fit. It's a popular thing to say, but it doesn't fit with the text. Let me see, let me just read you one more. This is Titus 2, 11 and 13. I got a lot more here I'm not reading, by the way. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus just told us in the middle of this, this, these bold judgments being given to us. I come like a thief. Watch and keep your garment. We are looking for the blessed hope. What is the blessed hope? That we who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Comfort one another with these words. Now, the armies are gathered at Armageddon, verse 16. And they gathered them together to a place called, in Hebrew, Armageddon. Now, this is the... The, the, the demon frogs have gone out to the world. They've gathered the Antichrist army and they gathered together in Armageddon. Now, I'm gonna, give you, I'm gonna give you some ammunition that you can be pedantic to people if you wanna be. You know what pedantic is? It's exact, when you can be exact. So people say, they call the battle of Armageddon in the valley of Armageddon. And when they say that, you can go, it's not a valley. Armageddon is Mount Megiddo. It's a mountain. It's actually not even a mountain. It's a tell. A tell is something that has had, had towns built under it, cities built under it, and then destroyed and rebuilt and destroyed and rebuilt. And I think there's something like 33 cities on Mount Megiddo. But Mount Megiddo is on, right beside the Valley of Jezreel, which is a place where millions of people could gather. Now, again, I, I can help you be pedantic if you want to be. We talk about the battle of Armageddon. It takes place around Jerusalem, not in the valley. So it doesn't take place there. They're gathered there. And then the battle will be up in the valley of Jehoshaphat, up in the Kidron Valley. And these are Old Testament passages that help us place together exactly where this last battle takes place. All they are is gathered together here in Armageddon. This is the only place where it's mentioned. And Armageddon is Mount Megiddo. And if you've ever been to Israel, by the way, You've been to Mount Megiddo. And we stand up at the top where we overlook the Jezreel Valley and we talk about the Battle of Armageddon. We talk because we're looking at the valley where they are gathered together. Now the seventh bowl is finally poured out. We're gonna make it all the way through. Verse 17, then the seventh angel poured out his bowl and, and this is a great earth, earthquake and great hail. 
Okay, that's the seventh bowl. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air. And a loud voice came from the temple in heaven, from the throne, saying, It is done. And there was noises and thunders and lightnings. And there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as has not occurred since men were on the earth. This is literally off the charts. Now, the great city was divided into three parts. I think the great city here is Jerusalem. Some believe the great city here is the city of Babylon. But there's this great earthquake. The city is, is divided into three parts. And the city of the nations fell. And the great Babylon was remembered before God, which is not a good thing. It's like now that the wrath is done, God turns his his thoughts to Babylon and is now going to destroy it. Babylon is man's desire to live without God. That's what Babylon is. They, now Nimrod built the first Babylon, a tower reaching to the heavens so he didn't have to have God. He made earthly religions so he didn't have to have God. And so that's what the Babylon is. And so God says, and, and Babylon was remembered before God. We'll get into that next week. They'll start to get into it to give her the cup of the wine of his fierceness of his wrath. Then every island fled away. So this great earthquake causes the islands to flee. The mountains were not found. So the mountains flattened out and great hail fell upon men. Each hailstone, the weight of about a talent, which depending on which matters and customs you're reading is between 60 pounds and 100 pounds. So these are, are, they, could, they could kill you. We were in Indiana this last week and storms came through that brought baseball size hail. Now, we didn't see any baseball size, we didn't see any hail, all right? But baseball size hail, that, are, that does amazing. So men blaspheme God a third time. Men, bla and this is um, 21, the end of 21. Men blaspheme God because of the plague of hail since the plague was exceedingly great. You see people being crushed by the hail. And so once again, for the third time, they blaspheme God. Now, three things in closing. Number one, sin makes us promises it can't keep. The mark of the beast gave promises of a future for them, but it couldn't keep it. And the sin that entices you, the sin that perhaps you hide, is a sin that is giving you promises that cannot be kept. Number two, all of God's judgments will be just and true. God will not judge in a way that he should not. He judges fairly. And, and that's been said at this passage. And number three, be ready. You don't know when Jesus is gonna come for his church. And we are supposed to be watching and be ready. Jesus at the end of Luke 21 said, to, to, for, for us to be careful that our hearts don't get weighed down with carousing drunkenness and the cares of this life and that they come upon us unexpectedly for it will come as a snare to all those who dwell on the earth. So again, it's at an unexpected time. And so let's keep our garments, let's watch and let's be ready and let's stay ready. And the Bible says, all who have this hope purify themselves even as they are pure. Because we have the hope that he could return at any moment, it, we purify ourselves 
knowing that we want to have our garments in good shape when Jesus shows up. So make things right, keep short accounts, and keep a right relationship with him. Stand with me, would you, and let's pray together. Father, thank you for the time we're able to take looking at these bold judgments and considering the things that are happening at the very end of the age, right before you come back. Lord, that we've made it through all 21 seal, judge, uh, trumpet, and now bowl judgments. And Lord, we pray, and, and, and we, we have a new sense of the fear of the Lord as we consider how you will finally wrap up the rebellion of this earth. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to keep our eyes on you and be ambassadors for you. And if there's anything that we need to get out of our lives, reveal it to us or help us to get rid of it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.